Zoom's an interesting one, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, cool. Nice to see you, Marv. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, you, um, you, you're in Oldham at the moment, or is, is that... Liverpool. I'm in ah. Liverpool. Yeah, I'm going to have to visit my dad in Oldham at some point. <laughs> oh, my, my dad's a scouser. He's from uh, Kirby. All right. Well, <laughs> do you ever get a chance to come up here? I occasionally come up here now and then. So I went, this is ages ago. This is when hot water was still in the hotel rooms, was the last time I came down to Liverpool. And I remember I did something. I did some magic tricks. I don't think I did too well, but I ended up annoying one member of the audience. There was an awkwardness. I didn't record it, so I didn't see the full picture, but that was the last time I performed there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, 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 I would love to see what hot water is like now. I mean, I, I just seeing all those videos and what's going down there now. My God. Oh, well, it's about, yeah, it's about to take another jump. It, I think it was supposed to be sorted by October, but they've, they obviously overrun, but the, the new, the new building's just huge. They've got, it, it's probably, it's probably going to be one of the biggest, probably the most advanced comedy clubs in the, in the world, really. So, because they've got podcasts rooms they've got different sized theater rooms they've got the bars they've got uh they're gonna have food markets and stuff like that so it'd be interesting to see where it goes it's yeah I, it's it's funny when i hear from a lot of comics from london like they always say that the pay in london is dreadful and like comedy seems to be happening up in the north at the moment but you hear all sorts of things you don't know what to what to make of it all uh, it, it's um I've, I've just i did a podcast with uh, steve gribbon and um paul ricketts and it's it's it depends on who you are what level you're at you know where you know we're, it's there's so many variables in comedy at the moment because um we were discussing the fact that pay hasn't really gone up for comedians in god knows how long but the ticket prices have. But then on top of that, you go. So you go. Oh, the promoters are making money, but they're not making money because everything, everything else. There's costs for everything else for running everything for buildings for you know. So it's 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 interesting. It's interesting to see where comedy's going to go because there's lots of stuff that you can do online now. So yeah, but we'll, we will see. <laughs> yeah, I hear. Um, I mean, most people are met, like. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's. You, I mean, you run a lot of comedy shows yourself. I mean, you, there must be one thing you must, must. It must be easy getting people in because it's. I found when I put comedy shows myself, when I put a lot of mix of different things like females or like different races, that does help marketing wise. I, that, yeah, it's, I'll say that. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's one of those things where. <clears throat> um, I think people are uh, sometimes bored of the same old stuff. So if you do something a little bit different, then it catches people. And then one, once they get the idea of the concept of it, then they go, "All oh, right, this is this is actually funny. This is good. There is difference." That I mean, um, the Black Showcase wasn't a kind of. Sometimes, sometimes people think it's sort of like, "Oh, kill Whitey," uh, or, or something like that. And it, it it was it was more to do with the fact that there wasn't as many opportunities for black comedians up in Edinburgh, but also, um, it, if there's three black acts who are all very similar, that can be incredibly boring in itself. So it wasn't sort of like, oh, you know, we don't like white comedians. It's more sort of like it can become very generic at times, and people so they, they they like what they know, 
and if they only know that that you get three white straight male comedians then that's what they think they can have but then if you go hey look you can have a white straight guy then you can have a woman then you have a black person then you have a magician then you can have this then you can have that it's so, it's sort of like oh it's more like variety it is more variety and there's more you know if there's something if something i don't like there'll be something that will come on that i might like in a in a bit yeah that's true mm. Has has the has the circuit up north changed? Because I did listen to the episode that you had with uh, Paul Ricketts and what's the other Steve 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 Griffin, yeah Griffin, and you said that there is yeah there's not many, but it's sort is it building because you're running a lot of courses and yeah well it's well, we start, we're trying to start the courses just so that there's, there's more people to choose from up here because. Um, there was always, there's a, there's a, I do a joke at the moment about um, not liking London, but I do, I do. I, I, it's not London, it's Parliament and finance and all that kind of stuff. And, and But um, there's always a promise that, you know, oh, we're going to have HS2 and, you know, we're going we're gonna to make, uh, invest money in the North. Uh, and then they brought, you know, uh, this um, BBC in Salford, this Channel, Channel 4 was up North and everything like that. But it still seems like they don't really care about, you know, the, the people would rather be in London. You, you, you know, celebrities want to go to London because that's the capital, and and a lot of comedians move down south. So that's we've always had uh, problems getting at black acts because everybody everybody's based in London or moves to London. So, um, but it's slowly things come and things go. So like we set up the black showcase, and it's we're, we're still in its formative stages, even in Liverpool. But with with Trying to do some stuff in Manchester, trying to do stuff across the M62. Um, but like I say, hot water's helped a lot because now there's a hub. I mean, there's, um, there's you know Frog and Bucket and Comedy Store in Manchester as well. So that you know there's big, big names up in the north. But again, it's um, it's uh, I heard an American, I think it was Canadian comedian actually, um, talking about how. We moan for traveling more than two hours to a gig, and I, I am of this opinion: is that if, you know, I want to be able to get back home before midnight if I can. Um, but the Canadian, I can't remember which company, the company. I think Chris Brooker was one of them. Um, he was chatting to somebody else on a podcast, and they said in Canada, you've got to drive for miles. You know, you've got to drive. For, you know, it's, it's a day trip, and it's sort of, and it's like, you know, we're, we're not used to that. We're sort of, I think we we've, we've got a bit comfortable. And and because of the small pubs and we have small pubs and bars and stuff like that that you can you can pop up a comedy night, um, so you can do little things here and there. Um, but it, it's balancing for me. It's balancing sort of developing your material and doing little mini gigs that sort of don't pay or pay a small a small amount. But then also trying to make money out of it if you if it is your sort of semi to main job. That's that's always a problem. That creativity is a lot of the time stifled by the the necessity to eat. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> God yes. damn it! If we could all just starve ourselves and and uh, and just still work, it'd be great. I'm sure, that's a Tory policy. <laughs> it is it is interesting. I mean, um, yeah, like Freddie Quinn. I mean, he's got big following, and he's having still having to put on comedy shows, isn't he? So, um... <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's it's. Um... I always talk about diversifying as sort of a, as a comedian. I, I, again, this is on the other podcast. As a comedian, people think that you do comedy and that's it forever. 
right? But at a certain point, again, it's at a certain point, you run out of, uh, ah, I mean, this is going to be a weird jump. Andre 3000 recently released a album, which is him just playing the flute. And everybody went, oh, so why did you step away from hip-hop? Why didn't you do anything? And he said, I had nothing to talk about. He said, who wants to hear about my colonoscopy? Uh, I do, to be fair, but... It, it was it was sort of like yeah there's, there's a point where as a comedian you've used up all your material or you've not um it, it, i think sometimes rich richer uh, or people who climbed up the totem pole and are at the top of the, at the top of the game there comes a point where they're not relatable to uh, audiences because and i've seen this uh, and I, I maybe it's because i'm a comedian but it's just sort of like talking about you know your chauffeur uh, not 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 pulling up at the right time is a you know, massive leap when you're sort of like again struggling to get fucking uh, petrol for the uh, petrol for your car. So uh, sometimes it's better to diversify and do other things like promote shows or, or write for other comedians, just to yeah. just so that you're not burning up all your material, just so that you're not uh, you're not boring people because you're constantly there and they know your material. Um, I remember thinking this is not a, a, a go at Peter K. I remember seeing Peter Cage years before he became mainstream. And so I'd seen a lot of his material. And this was before I got into comedy. So I'd seen a lot of his material and I'd seen it again. And I found it funny because it's delivered really, really well. And then all my family got into Peter Cage at Christmas. It was like, have you seen this guy, Jay? Have you seen this guy? He's amazing. And I was like, I'm bored of this now. I'm really yeah. bored. <laughs> it's sort of like, I know what the jokes are. So you're like laugh, trying to laugh along. So, yeah, so... The, the running, running of other things is just another way to another cut, another revenue stream, uh, or, or another way to sort of, <laughs> sort of think. Of, it, it gets boring if you're just doing one thing, I think. But then that might not be, that might not be neurotypical. So, <laughs> I see, yeah, okay, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, it, it, I mean, yeah, it is. It's uh, what what comedies what i mean i'm i'm in london i do a lot, lot, lot of the open mics and run a lot of shows but mm. i find comedy comedy's the thing that i like about it as a performer as a showrunner it's completely unpredictable in a very good and bad way oh yeah it's um uh it's the the the, the um, that's that's the good thing about live comedy um People go, oh, you know, now that was everything's online, is that it? Is the, you know, is that the way that it's going to go? No, you, you, there'll be stuff online. There'll be stuff live because you can't replicate. You can't sit in a room watching over a, a stream, a live stream, and we tried it during the pandemic. Um, <laughs> um, you can't sit in a room and get the same feeling. You may maybe a lot in the future when people have three D holograms of the things, and but the audience themselves are part of the show. That's what that's why live music is different than listening to a cd it, it's um those moments of um oh that wasn't planned that that comedian couldn't have you know the the, the um that's what i that's like improv is great when it's in good hands is is that people go oh i'll never see this again or, or sort of like oh my god that, that comedian is doing something in the moment rather than it's rehearsed it's it's it, it's very hard to um do the same joke again and again and again and deliver it with the same energy and and but I do, uh, <laughs> but but and st- and sort of still connect with the crowd and still do that. But then when you've got moments like that, everybody feels like they're part of a community or part of a thing, 
Um, so it's so it's a lot. I think that's why those clips work better. You know, instead of watching people's material and sort of like, oh, here's my joke. When they're doing crowd work, it looks a lot better because people go, oh, that's different. That's that's. I'm never going to see that again because you know you can't have. There was there was a perfect moment for me, and this is this is. But a lot of younger people will not understand the references now. But um, I did a gig in Wales, and there was a guy in the audience called Magic. And then on the front row, I was talking to a couple about it. This is a little bit later on. I was just, I was, I, there was a, I, the MC had, had picked out this guy and he's called Magic. And the front row, I, I did this thing about couples. And I was just asking this couple what the name was. The, the woman said, I'm called Debbie. And the bloke next to her was called Paul. And I went, so it's like Paul Daniels, Debbie McGee. In the front. It wasn't them, but they had the names for Paul Daniels and Debbie McGee. And I, and I went, oh, Paul, Debbie, that's Magic. Uh, and it's just sort of like, it's just such a, it's, it's a great, thing that will never happen ever again it's very hard to sort of like, but everybody that was unfortunately that was the pinnacle of that set because everybody went oh my god i can't believe this just happened that's amazing uh, and then i was sort of like going well there's some jokes now. <laughs> <laughs> oh and what well, and did did you get did you get a selfie with them afterwards I, di- I didn't because I don't. I think it was that long ago. I think long ago. It's like five years, five, ten years, something like that. No, less than ten years. Um, it w- It wasn't that kind of period to be having selfies with everybody. But now that I, I, I'm starting to understand that that is a thing, <laughs> is that you've got to have a social media presence and do stuff. And I am a grumpy bastard. <laughs> I'm not actually. I don't, I don't mind chatting to people and the pictures taken. But it's, it's fine. I find it odd. I think a lot of comedians have problems with their. Um, I don't like my face being everywhere. Although to see me out and about, you would not believe that. Yeah, you want you want your own time. Like I've made you laugh here, but I'm not the funny go all the time. I want to sit down, go to Starbucks, enjoy my shit latte, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's weird because like I've I've done a lot of stuff in the entertainment world anyway. They didn't sort of like I started off as a DJ at the student union and I've done. And I, was a, a sabbatical office. So my face has always been around the student union. So I've got to, and I do quizzes and, and all the first years know me. So it's sort of like a weird pseudo fame of sort of like, oh, can I have a picture with you? You know, going, all I do is present the quiz. Then you realize that, these, that, that that's a currency now. They go, oh, here's a picture of me with this person. This raises me up. So look, look who I've, I've bumped into. And it's sort of like, kind of weird fame but i'm sort of i'm still of a, of a mindset that sometimes it's best not to know stuff about people in in a good way i mean like like the old sort of like hollywood stars who you went oh there's a mystique about them rather than oh yeah. you can you can they're bearing their ass again on on page five of, of the local rag you're like going there's, there's sometimes you can hold some st- stuff back again it's it's like overkill it's, at a certain point you're um you become boring because people go, oh, them again. And they're constantly looking for dopamine hits. It's like they're looking for the next hit of sort of like, oh, here's a new celebrity. Here's a younger celebrity. Here's this, that, and the other. So it's an it's a interesting game to play. Yeah. And I can't wait till they stop with Love Island, I think. <laughs> I cannot start. I, because of, because of my quizzing, I have to sort of know a little bit about everything uh, to write questions and stuff. I, I can't stand that kind of stuff. Because it is just sort of, I think it sets an unrealistic expectation on a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people struggle because of social media, because they think they've got to be constantly doing stuff. 
comedians get caught up in this as well. Oh, I've got to be putting jokes out. I've got to be doing this, that, and the other. Do any, whatever you do, do it at your own pace, but also try not to get caught up in what you think you're supposed to look like or what you're supposed to act like or whatever. It's um, There's a falseness to a lot of stuff. And, and that's interesting in comedy because... Um, I think people know when you're sort of lying in comedy and it's and it's not it doesn't you don't connect as well with an audience sometimes people can blag it really well but a lot of times I can watch comedians and go yeah <laughs> this is sort of like even especially when you're not not saying that all, all comedians are joke things but you can tell when somebody's it's not their material obviously one-liners that's just you're coming up with a one-liner so it's just telling a joke but if somebody's telling a story and you're going this sounds familiar, but not in your voice. You don't sound like you could do. I, I when I first started, I worried about um, people stealing jokes or some of the material. But then when I started, <laughs> a lot of my a lot of my material was about me having cancer in two thousand and ten. So it, it was very hard to rob that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's 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 an example that you? I mean, right. This may get me into trouble here, but I'll say it anyway. Um, I watched the videos of where they showed Amy Schumer being a joke thief, and you could see when she copied bits of like um, Patrice O'Neill when he was talking about the the um, the Houdini. You could see yeah. that she she said it as if she'd heard it from someone else. Well, you could tell that Patrice said it as if he'd actually witnessed it. Yeah, it's. Um... I think it's I think it's interesting because Amer America. I was I was talking to Nicky uh, Preston, who's a brilliant comedian uh, who lived over in Chicago, um, and as we were talking about American style, I love I love talking about different comedy styles in different countries and how they how they do stuff. And um, America is 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 it, we're starting to get a bit like this because everybody wants to get into comedy and become a presenter or there's a reason for getting into comedy rather than just doing comedy for, for a lot of people. Not a lot of people, but for a few people, you can see it. In America, that's the thing. They, they have a production line. They do threes, then fives, then tens, then twenties. Then they then they hope they get on, you know, a little a slot on a late night TV show. Then they get, you know, sitcoms. And there is a progression. And um it's it it can become uh, they still produce amazing comedians you know that are, you know Carlin and Pryor and people who who got really interesting perspectives and takes and stuff like that but then there is obviously for every one of those there has to be like it's like football you know you have your star players and you have the water carriers who are just there and then you have some people at a lower level and you know who are like you know younger younger players who are trying to make their way up and older comedians on the way down so. There can be, is it parallel thinking or whatever it's called, where you do come up with the same joke as other people. But then there is other people who just pay people to to go and uh, to write jokes. But if you're if if it's a business like that, sometimes people cut corners and will. I, I'm, I've been told, but I don't know how true it is. But we'll just sit at the back of rooms in Edinburgh or wherever it is and write down other people's jokes. And you're like going, ah, oh, come on. And then hope that they never get caught because it's you know they'll be taking it from a lower level comedian or whatever. And it's um, it's, it's interesting if you know about the history of, of uh, comedy that that went on all the time anyway. Is that people like Bernard, Bernard Manning, uh, who I quote a lot, and everybody thinks I'm a massive fan. There are there are reasons why I don't like him, uh, but but <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, and looking at the history of it and looking at how he did things, um, the the, the 
before TV came along, it was like regions. So comedians would could travel to different re- regions, but they would all be, you know, Bernard Bernard would be the northwest. Then you'd have uh, I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember who who was where, but you'd have in Newcastle, you'd have like what are the northeast? You'd have one big comedian. It's a bit like now, you know, we've got Michael McIntyre's London, Peter Kay is Manchester, you know, Kevin Bridges Scotland. So there's one big comic in one area. And you go, oh, right, okay. But back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, they would just use each other's material. So they would they would crib other people. Yeah, so it was not seen, because it was just seen as jokes. It wasn't seen, it wasn't that kind of, um, you know, the, the stories were silly stories. They weren't, here's my life. You know, it was, it, 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 sometimes it would be stuff that they'd seen, but you could see that it had been engineered to, to have a punchline rather than, oh, this is the funny thing that came out of this. So... They were just, from what I could gather, they would they would rob because they would never. People from Manchester would never travel to New to, to Newcastle to go and watch comedy, so it didn't matter. So in one sense, I can see how that's evolved, but in another sense, it's incredibly annoying because people are making money out of what you've done, what you've put time into, and then and then for people to go, oh, that wasn't my fault, and it's sort of like, well, you've obviously not got. The originality or the 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 ability to write jokes or you're not as good as you you know they will again comedy is an interesting thing because sometimes if you look good or you present good or you or you have a, a way of, of presenting on stage that will get you just as far as writing incredible jokes so because we're living it again social media tv we're looking for people who people are, are palatable to people and people can relate to hey i'm just like you so you know, oddballs. There's still room for oddballs and people who are on the on the fringes and stuff like that. But I think I think <laughs> they like they like certain things, but in a certain package. So Amy Schumer did well because they went, "Oh right, cool, we've got this female who will talk about all this stuff." And sort of like they sort of let things slide. I'm not having a massive go at Amy Schumer, but it, when you watch it side by side, you go. <laughs> but you know. It's one of those ones. What does she care? She's made her money. She's got a TV show. So, yeah. like, <laughs> so, so I think that's that's the annoyance sometimes is that some comedians go, that was my stuff, or, you know, that's not fair. But that's sometimes just how it is. But what's the... I'm, I remember I spoke to... Um, do you, did you ever bump into Lynn Ruth Miller? Um, I didn't. I didn't. I, wanted, I think... I can't remember if I've seen her, but yeah, I know. I know. I know. So I interviewed her, and, yeah, God rest her soul, she was, she was a very interesting. She was so forthright with different people that, I, like, on, when I interviewed her, she really didn't give a shit. Like, she was really trashing, like, Sindhu V to the... To... Oh, it's, see, this is, this is another thing as well. Oh, God, right. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure my filters are, are slowly deteriorating because I... It's not that, I, it's not that I'm going to flag anybody off, but it's just sort of, um, for something... For a, for a for a for a thing that is about truth, well, a lot of the times, all the comedy at the moment is is about telling truth. Is that we lie a hell of a lot, and we lie, you know, we're like, oh, I like this person, I like that person. We're not, it's like we're not allowed to sort of have a, to have to go on stage and have opinions. Off stage, we're not allowed to have opinions. And it's something people don't get on with other people, and people have their opinion of what they think comedy is. But then you can't have. The discussions. Trevor Noah said something incredible recently, um, and uh, I wish I'd never said his name, and then I could pretend it was me that said it. Um, <laughs> and stuff. But he, he was talking about um, not just comedy, but how we discuss stuff. And at the moment, 
it was like um, you know you're looking at a minefield and going we, we need to walk through that and we, we you know trying to navigate through a minefield where you you're being careful not to step on a landmine but we're not even at that point of being in the landmine the in with the landmines we are even scared too scared to go into the landmines but we're also too scared to discuss you know going you know these tricky things that then going in so we not only do we not want to talk about horrible stuff we also don't want to discuss <laughs> discuss the fact that we might need to talk about this horrible stuff because um it, it's it's um that's what that's why i find it i think it's interesting that people like to do edgy comedy but they don't want to when anybody gets challenged on anything they don't want to have a discussion about what it really means oh. um to to talk about that kind of stuff because I, I started off talking about cancer i didn't know that you were you know or you should i got kept getting told you're not supposed to talk about cancer on stage and i went well why you, know, you might upset somebody and i went yeah, but i've had it so it's upset me and this is how i feel about it so why can't i talk about it and talk about how funny it was and then when i started doing it in little pubs and clubs people were coming up to me and going thank you for talking about that my husband died uh, last year and nobody's nobody's broken the seal and it's good that we you know then they talked to me for like half an hour afterwards and it's really interesting because i learned some stuff they learned some stuff but um we really don't like to talk about horrible stuff which is that people sometimes don't like other people and some people are shitty and some people are nice and so <laughs> uh, i keep having these conversations about is it this i go off on tangent um equal, i won't watch equalizer three and the denzel gets asked are you a good or a bad person and he goes i don't know you know, and the guy goes, that's a correct answer because people shouldn't know if they're a good person or a bad person. They should be yeah. questioning what they do constantly. But I think a lot of people just, just don't want to have those questions because it's then you've got to look at how bad you might be or question some of the badness in you. Everybody wants to be the hero of their own little shows. Yeah. And that's great. I, you know, everybody wants to be Bond <laughs> unless you're black and then you're not allowed. But, um... <laughs> 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 oh, God. Going, don't, don't oh it's all become woke now <laughs> hey woke he might he just might get in he might do i think you would make an amazing bond i hope he does i think he, he well, might get in yeah but again that's another interesting conversation and, and as a black comedian and i know quite a lot of black comedians who've done a, a bond you know black bonding but the uh, joke and the, there is an interesting point of sort of like well Instead of having a black bond, what we need is our own role, role models and our own sort of characters. But to do that, uh. you know, if anybody just blankets that and goes, oh, why don't you get your own heroes? It's sort of like, it takes time. You know, Ian Fleming wrote a shed load of books that then became movies years after he'd written them. And so, like, so it's, it's sort of like the black people are playing catch up, but being told to do it right away. So, you know, so you should have a, a you know, 20 odd novels write them now and then we'll make films out of them that's how we'll that's how we'll have black role model that takes, that takes time but we need role models to help people realize that they're allowed to do that kind of thing and it's it's, it's really interesting that people don't want to have interesting discussions they want they want to win that's i think that's the problem what they want to be right everybody wants to be right and wants to win so ah. yeah that is that is a problem that yeah when you go into when you go into a discussion it's a it, it's there's a there's still a thing about winning rather than learning anything yeah they, they and then the moles go out the yeah 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 it's 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 um it's like you you know roast battles and stuff like that the rules are out the window you just want to win that thing but it's just like going you can write cleverer but 
it, it's not punching down, but like it's easier to write uh, a hurtful or hateful joke. Look at look at look at all the, all the stuff where people go, oh my god, this person said this and this person said that. It's so easy to write a very kind of crass joke because it's just sort of it, it elicits a guttural response where you go, huh, I shouldn't be laughing at this. But then it, those people could actually write cleverer jokes based on the first joke that they wrote. It's just sort of like again, time, money, all these things. They just go, ah, oh, we'll just go go for the lowest common denominator. Yeah. You're saying that nowadays, Generation Z and Millennials, we are lazy bastards, all right? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I'm no. joking, I'm joking. See, this is what happens <laughs> in cancel culture. They twist what you say and then, boom. That's because they're cunts. Um... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. I think in my head, I'm like going, should I just slag off people? Should I say, oh, this person I think is a terrible comedian? But it doesn't do any good. There is... There is, there is I, I always say that there are comedians that are my friends that I don't particularly like their style of comedy. That doesn't mean I don't like their comedy. It's just sort of like, that's not for me. And then there are people that I don't like as comedians, not as, you know, sometimes it's that I don't get on with them or they, you know, they're not the same from the same background or whatever, but their comedy is great. And I go, yeah, got to give the plaudits for that. And it's, it's really, it's incongruous in your head that you, you know, I've got to like the things that my friends like. You don't always have to. Uh, and I'm, I'm not supposed to like, you know, if Nigel Farage came out with a really, really good joke, you, you've got to go, well, yeah, that's that's a really good joke. He hasn't ever, so it's fine. But um, I, I, I work in a student union and I, I, I end up um, talking to a lot of 18-year-olds. Uh, I feel like Matthew McConaughey in that film, uh, Fast Times in Ridgemont High or whatever it's called. I can, I can never remember the name of that. But I'm just getting older and they stay, they're staying the same age. But it's really interesting on their perceptions on stuff because... They've been allowed to, um, the, again, it's like the difference between me and my grandparents and them and their grandparents is that they've they've come into the world, they've always had phones. They've always had phones. You know, it's just sort of like, it's, not, it's alien, an alien concept to not have phones. So again, for them to have, uh, it's like Black Bond and the books and stuff like that, for them to have books like Heartstopper and, and uh, things that discuss sexuality, we didn't have that when we were at school. You just basically call people gay. That was it. It was a blanket thing. If anybody was slightly weird, gay. That was it. <laughs> now, now there's all these different levels, and it's brilliant. But people who haven't come from that background don't know how to discuss it. And that's fine. There's a great episode in Atlanta, the Donald Glover's thing, where it's, where they just basically had a late-night talk show, and the rapper is basically going, I don't mind what anybody does. I just don't get it, and I don't think I ever will. And it's just sort of like you're trying to explain it to me. It doesn't matter. I just, because of where I've come from, because of how I've grown up, I just don't get it. And that's it. It's like my granddad's sort of being mildly racist. Well, quite, you know, mildly oh. racist because he fought, in, he, he fought in World War II. So that's how we, that's how we saw the world. Yeah. That, that, do, do, you, do you get that in uh, the Edinburgh Fringe or with, with comedy audiences? In terms of the, the, <laughs> they they don't get stuff. Um, well, or they they bit they they you get some funny things off stage, or they'll say, "Oh, you are funny for this," or "You are." Oh, oh. when I first started, it was terrible. Uh, <laughs> it was. It, I, I just think that they the, the again the more the more kudos you get, or the bigger you get, or the more confident you get, the less the less those things happen because people are scared of. They go. They they, they want to say it but they don't because they know that you'd probably rip them a new one. 
when you're not confident, they go, oh, I'll say whatever I want in front of this person. I've mean, two instances where, not directly to me, but the, the N-word was used um, sort of like to reference me. Um, and that was through another comedian telling me that that's what that was said. Where's your friend? That, uh, and I was like, oh, my God. Um, always happens in Leyland um, <laughs> or there or thereabouts. Um, but it, it's, um, again... I will. I, there was a, there was a there was a gig in Manchester where a guy came up to us and told us told me that his mate used to be a councillor for the BNP. He, was, he actually got elected as an MP in Burnley, and he used to be in the BNP. And we had an interesting conversation. I still was wary, but um, but yeah, it, it was it was it was interesting because I always try and open up those those conversations because they don't know anything any better. So when they meet somebody, sometimes their language is clunky and clumsy because they're trying to figure it out. And that's great when some of them like that. Some of them don't want to know, and that's left and right people. I've, on one of the showcases, uh, I try and really establish what the showcase is at the beginning. It's like a piss take of the 1970s cabaret. So I, I'm doing Bernard Manning, but almost in reverse. It's sort of like, you get, hello, ladies and gentlemen, lovely to be here. We're going to have a great night. Three great black comedians and a token white straight male, because we've got to give those guys a chance, right? And it's, it's a reverse of what has happened to highlight what went on and how black people feel about comedy nights. Because a lot of people, my mates, are not my mates, sorry, a lot of people I know who went to the NBC club, which was run by uh, Bernard Manning, they went, oh yeah, you know, there was always a, a, a black couple or an Asian couple and he'd joke about them and they'd all laugh and everybody, you know, so it was fine that he was doing those jokes. And you speak to black people and they go, yeah, I've sat in an audience and they've made a joke at my expense and I felt horrible but we were the only black people there, so we just shut the fuck up. <laughs> sort of like, you know, I saw it in reverse when, when uh, I took my ex to a, a black comedy night. She was the only white person there, and all the black comics made a joke of jokes about white women, and people were looking at her because she was the only white person. So it was like that in reverse. It was really weird. So you have got to sort of like go. Sometimes people act differently because they feel like they can't speak up, but then when people do speak up, it can be awkward. so. After one of the shows once, I had somebody who was quite left-wing, and I know that because he started the conversation by going, I've been on a lot of marches. Um, went, <laughs> yeah, like, well, good for you. Um, getting your steps up, are you? Um, and um, he, he just he went on about how I, I, I do a bit where I basically pretend that I can't pronounce white people's names because they're weird, and I just call every white guy Dave. And he, I got, he took umbrage and he said, I don't think you should do that. And what he was kind of what I think he was trying to push is that it was reverse racism and two wrongs don't make a right. But I was like, but in my my mind and my justification is that I'm showing you what used to happen, but in reverse. So it's a piss take of the thing. It's not me going, I hate white people again. My mum comes to near enough every show. You know, one of my one of one of my favorite parents is a white. Um and and um, so we had this half an hour conversation to the point where they had to chuck us out in the theatre. Because I was like, going, yeah, but like, this is what it's based on. This is, you know, so I had this massive conversation and he was like, going, yeah, but like, I don't, I think, you know, you're going, you know, you're going too far the other way. I was like, going, you're white and that's not your, that's not your decision to make. The input is is valid in your head. Thank you for telling me. But I I still will do this because I think it's the right thing to do. If if a, if a huge, you know, protest starts up going, you know, we, we, we feel persecuted as white people, I'll, I might take advisement, but I'd still, I feel justified in what I did. Then I went into a pub next door and the first person that I, the first white guy that I ended up putting a badge on that said Dave 
he bought into it, but his missus was pissed and she was going, you're racist. And I was like going, I'm so not. I'm so not. Right. And then he explained roughly the same thing I did to that left wing guy. I did it to, and I don't think she was that right wing, um, but he was from he was from West Ham and she was from London oh. somewhere. And and when I, when he said I'm from West Ham, I went, oh god, he's gonna have a go at me. It wasn't. He was on my side. He kept me, he kept going. Sharon, will you listen to the lad? Because he was like trying to explain to her what I was explaining to her, but she was too drunk to understand. And she was lovely, but she was just kept going. Oh, you call all white people Dave, and you're being racist. And I was like going, no, I'm basically highlighting again what happened in the 1970s where black people, oh, I can't pronounce your name. We've all got weird names and this, that, and the other. So I'm doing it in reverse as a pistol. And she was like going, no, 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 no. And he was going, Sharon, you're pissed. <laughs> Listen, let the lad speak. Let it, you know, and he, he, he got it. She just didn't. Some people want to take umbrage sometimes because, again, they they want, they feel like they're no longer, um, they're not the main character. They're not, you know, that's why there's, I think, this tension. My perception of is that there's tension in race because um, certain groups who have been in power, and it's not white, it's not white and black, it's people with money, but a lot of people at the top tend to be white and have money, um, is that they they are seeing that they're not going to be the the, the top of the of the food chain or whatever. Not that there is one, because you know <laughs> the food chain is broken at the, at the moment. If nobody's sort of seen, but there is a perception. There is a perception that there is a hierarchy. So if you if the, if you suddenly think that you're not going to be at the top of that, it's it's a bit jarring. It's not like oh, I'm you know the talk of having a black bond. It's just like yeah, but oh no, it's actually Doctor Who was a better one. And I think it was it was a it was a misquote. Or he he he, he went back on it a little bit. But Peter Davidson, when um, Jodie Whittaker became uh, Doctor Who, went. But what about the male role? What about the role models for all the ma- young male lads? And it was sort of like they had them for the previous thirteen doctors. They were all men. They're all white men, right? It's just sort of like you've had your role models. There needs to be a, a diversification. And it's really weird seeing people who they've always seen themselves on the on the big screen as the heroes. And then and but like if you're from a minority group, you've had to watch that. I've had to watch Bond, and that's had to be my hero is a is a white guy who who's you know from Scottish. Uh, Scottish, um, he's not royal. Um, he's he's quite high up, isn't he? Bond or whatever. There's a Scottish heritage that he's got. I think he could be like a lord yeah. or something like that if he wanted to be. He's got a bloody castle up there. Um, he's a fictional person. I, would, I do know that. Um, but watching somebody and going right, that's that's how I've got to see heroes is that they're white, straight males, and this, that, and the other. When you when Black Panther came out, me, my dad, my mum. And my two kids all got to watch a load of black people be the heroes. Different types. There was Shuri, there was, you know, Chadwick Boseman, all these different. So whatever you were, you, you could pick different people. They even had white heroes, if they, you know, Martin Freeman, just, just as a sideline. He did some, he saved, helped save the day. But it's just sort of like, look, everybody can now have somebody that's like them. They don't have to go, oh, I have to fit into that. And that's what the norm is, is that I have to behave like that. They go, oh, I can be black and a hero. Yeah, no, it, it it is good that they're doing that. I'm. I I will say one thing. I loved the first Black Panther film. It's amazing. But I heard that the second film was a bit iffy, and Jodie Whittaker was. I I've seen her as Doctor Who. She is dreadful. What? <laughs> but one of the things I want to say. 
yes, you want to have diversity in that, but this is an interesting conversation. How do you do it in some instances where it's not like you're just doing it for the sake of it, and then you end up like Velma, they was was dreadful oh, yeah. as well. Like when you create dreadful products, when you like, what's the? Well, it, you just do it. Um, uh, I think it's Chris Rock has a really good bit where he's talking about all the black people that live um, around him are all sort of like it's like Denzel and and um, and Kevin Hart and also like, and he said the only white person on our on our thing on our block is a dentist. He's not even a good dentist. You know, he's not the top of his profession. He's not like the going to the Oscars of dentistry. And it, and it's it's. He, he talks about, um, I hope it's Chris Rock, um, he talks about the fact that black people need the ability to fail, to be shit, be as shit as white people. White people can be shit and still succeed. Um, I had a really cool conversation about um, civil service and, and people. Yeah. There is a middle, level of middle management where you go, you think you think you're indispensable, but you are terrible, but you have a group of friends around you that you all have protect each other. It doesn't, there isn't a kind of thing like that for minority groups. Is that um, if you, if again, I find this interesting. I, I would for I never was into positive discrimination for a while. I was then, I wasn't, and I am again now. Just force a load of people through. Um, I've used I've used football. I've used football a lot as in my last show. At the top of at the top of football, it is predominantly white and male. And there was a um, they they realised that they had a problem with anti-Semitism, uh, sexism, and racism. They, they didn't have any representation for those three the, for those three groups in the FA. So what they did was uh, they cured it by getting somebody to fit each of those roles. And she was called Heather Abatz, right? It's one person, right? Instead of getting three different people, they got one person. She's black, Jewish, and female, right? And they all get to, and she came out of that after about five, five to eight years, and she went. They just don't want to change. They, there, it's a group of people who are all mates, who they protect each other almost. And you would do if they're your friends, you you protect them. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you when you put one black person in, they go, look, we've done it. And you go, no, you need more than that. You need you need some. You need a, a black person who's really, really good. A black person who's okay. A black person who's shit and gets away with stuff. <laughs> so that it it fits with how offices and places work uh, and like with management or, or or the upper tiers of the fa if you force a lot of black people in then they don't feel like they are just the one representative and again it's like the black showcase if you have we did one where we, i got asked to do it but i want to do it just as a, a thing where it all it was just a black all-female lineup and i know they do it in london and again it's easy because there's a lot more black females down there but uh, the, 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 I just left all of the, the the comics in the green room because they were just going to have black women just all on the bill and all in the back room just chatting to each other in you know outside of London very rare. So I just went, oh yeah, I'll just back off. I'll just go away. You just enjoy yourself and, and have have a nice time having that space to yourself. And that's that's the thing. It's creating a space. I'm not saying that all when when if you push a lot of black people into an organisation that they all. They all become part of a group and then become, you know, sort of off to one side. It's easier for you if there's a lot of you to not be the the um, the magical Negro or the you know the black representation for. Hey, Jay, um, we're going to do some diversity stuff, so we're going to ask you straight off, and you're the only yeah. your opinion is the only one that matters because you're the only person here. So you've got loads of different people. You, you'll find that there is a, 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 a again in in the black showcase there is such a range of voices. Um, I'm 
the, the mums from Manchester, the big daddies from Barbados. There is people I know who, who their parentage is Trinidad, some um, Malawi, uh, Uganda, all different, all different things that mean that your voice is different than somebody else who's black. But people don't see that. They just go, you're black. <laughs> you go, so you must all have the same group thought. It's like, it's not like that. So that's why you need just more than one person. And sometimes it's very controversial to sort of like say, let's just push a load of black people in there. Yeah. They go, yeah, well, well we've, got to, we've got to recruit the best. And I go, you don't do that for other things. You know, in Parliament, they don't go, we've oh. got to recruit the best. They just go, well, I just happen to be here. <laughs> You're going, brilliant. What do you mean by that with the... We have to be here. What's what's? I mean, they, they, I mean, Sunak isn't. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not convinced by any of the politicians, but there's like a process, isn't it, for them to get to the power they are here? Lots of it, slimy games. Lots of yeah, I don't well, know. Yeah, it's 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 sort of like they. they um, that was the other thing that I, about middle management or civil service or this. That, you know how people get into place. A lot of people know that a lot of a lot of people in in politics, but in in sort of that management level. They know the cheat codes. They've got, they've all gone to the same schools. They've all done the same thing. If you if uh, I was part of the student um, politics politics movement, and um, you, you what happens is that you get elected a sabbatical for your for your university. So mine was John Moore's. Then you go to the NUS, which is National Union of Students, and then you you vote on certain things that will have an impact on students. But when, once you get into it, you realise that people are actually using it as a stepping stone. Uh, a lot of people in, in politics, uh, if, you, if people don't know, they all study politics, politics, philosophy and economics, PPE. So most people who are in politics, politics now uh, um, have gone through the student union movement, have studied the same things. They all know the same people. They're all from the same group. You know, and it's, it's just sort of like it's an homogenized kind of thing where it's I don't I don't blame how the Tories behave because they don't know any different. They have been in a certain room in a certain group with a certain same group of people they don't venture out because they don't have to and it's the same it works the same the other way if you've always grown up on a council estate that's all you know so um it's a bit animal farmage so the, you know i don't agree with tory policies i think it's the thing but i understand how they get there and why they don't care so i i don't you know it's, just, it's like the um the snake that be the guy who rescues a snake and the snake bites him and then kills him and then both of them are going to die and it's just sort of like the snake just goes it's just what i do it's just sort of like, i can't help but you know bite and kill but it's 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 um it's hard to sort of like break that down because everybody's protecting their own little groups so when yeah. you when when you stand up and go i think as black people we should have this space they people go well that's going to encroach on my space or that's going to take money away from me and then it always becomes about what other people have instead of going you know always that kind of socialism versus capitalism kind of thing of of like well i've got look just looking out for my kids look at yeah you can do that but you can also you can do it where you're helping other people's kids or you know you raise stuff up sometimes your kids are going to be thick as shit and you just have to accept that and that they are, their role will be not as good as you think it is. But that doesn't mean they're any less valid unless, you know, the, the hot out, you know, I'm going off on a tangent again. Mum tells a really good story because my mum used to be a cleaner that there was a, a it wasn't somebody she cleaned for, but it was somebody she, a, a family that usually knew. They were very rich. They had a daughter. The, ma the maid, the cleaner had a daughter as well who was very, very intelligent and ended up going to get in, in you know, Oxford and Cambridge. But then the, the couple that she cleaned for 
then hot out their own daughter because they couldn't have it to be seen that the cleaner's daughter was cleverer than their daughter. Regardless of whether or not that kid wanted, yeah, regardless of whether that kid wanted to go to Oxford or Cambridge, they housed her to a point where she went. And is that is that mean that she's actually clever or intelligent or anything like that, or that they've just had enough money to force somebody into something that they didn't really want to do? They might have been successful, they might not have been, but it wasn't what they actually wanted. It was it was to be seen to be good in good standing. Mm. We are a very class based country. <laughs> yeah, it's effective. Yeah, it's effectively if you want change, you got to, you got to be Brighton, but you got to have a lot lot of money. You got to yeah, be the Brighton it's, it's, FC. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I the power behind it. Yeah, one of the, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's why I always try to use football as an analogy when I'm trying to explain to people because um, people don't get race sometimes because they've never again they've never had to experience it from the other end. But everybody's always experienced football. So to see City get, you know, 115 charges and getting away with it because they've got a lot of money and then seeing Everton who got less money and only had one charge, you sort of like going, where's the justice? People know what morals and justice are, but they also know that, you know, black black or white, green is the green is the colour. Uh, and it, it's it's sort of like, I, I think we we know that we live in a class system, but we try and pretend that we don't, that, you you know, oh, I can you can move up and down. Well, I always said this about Rooney, is that Rooney Rooney was one of the greatest footballers in the in the Premier League at the time when he was was there. He got all the money. He moved to into a nice house and everything like that. But wherever he moved to, the people that live around that will never accept him. They will never be the elite. He will just be rich because they'll see him as new money. And you know, oh look at him, um, OJ Simpson. Fuck, I don't know why I'm going off on this one, but OJ Simpson when he became the best football player of his generation or whatever and moved into a white community and they all accepted him because he had money and he was famous and this, that, and the other. As soon as all the, all the, uh, the murder stuff started happening, he was ostracised and the white community didn't want anything to do with him. They wanted him when he was famous, but then he, he was ostracised. And then OJ said, this, this, the, the TV show about him is, is incredible. So then then he, he, OJ starts whoring himself back out to the black community and the black community bring him, you know, oh yeah, cool. It's just sort of like, do you not see what went on there? Do you not see how that all works? Is that, you know, you use it again? I use Animal Farm a lot, and it's just sort of like the um, the horse is useful until it's not useful, and then it's glue. <laughs> oh, God, that's depressing. <laughs> People are fickle. I mean, if me or you were the next Dave Chappelle, we had millions of pounds, we we were able to pay comedians a million pounds. The people that would give us shit would flock to us like flies around shit. Oh, be, yeah, oh yeah, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. We're best friends now. Because I, I will, I, a lot of comedians love Dave Chappelle, and I did to a degree. And then he started doing trans stuff, and everybody's like, "Oh, he's being so, you know, he's so ahead of the curve." And I was like, "Going, it just seems." I keep saying it just seems like an old man shouting at clouds. But because he's so big, and because everybody wants to love him, and because he did good material before, every sort of like gives him passage, and nobody questions him. Because we are lower standing comedians, or we are less, we don't earn as much money. But I, but I think there was just a blanket kind of, oh, he's still, he's so brilliant. And I was like, going, I went and watched him and Chris Rock in Manchester, in Liverpool Arena, and I was like, going, this is kind of boring. But but again, because when, once you get to a level in comedy, it's very easy to try to know what the beats are. And I saw, I saw, I saw it with Kevin Hart. I've never been a massive Kevin Hart fan, and I went and watched him at Manchester Arena. 
And he doesn't really have any punchlines. To me, he doesn't have any punchlines. I'm not having a go at him. I'm just not like saying, I remember him. He's incredibly clever because he knows how to set up rhythms. So he, there was a punchline. I remember it. It's the only thing I remember out of his show, which was that um, the punchline was orangutan. Really? <laughs> and it's not a hilarious joke. It's just he knew how to set up the rhythm and knew how to set it up. So that it was a, tr- it's like Pavlovian responses. He knew how to elicit a response out of the crowd, which is genius. So I can't begrudge him that because he's playing to an arena. But because I'm not at that level, so other comedians might see that as well. Your, your opinion doesn't matter because you've not made money. You're jealous. I'm not. I just like watching comedy and seeing why I think something is funnier than something else. Again, it's my, my perspective. But it's how I sort of like look at other comedians. If I, um, if I'm watching open acts, you can sort of tell sometimes. You go, oh, you actually have funny bones. Some people have funny bones. Some people work at it and can be funny. Um, but at a certain point, sometimes people get a bit lazy or sort of you fall into tropes and stuff like that. So it's it's, it's a fine line that you're constantly walking as a comedian. Who's who's a comedian that you know that you gig with regularly that's reached the top? But you're still amazed by their work ethic. I know I saw a video of like Russell Kane says that he goes to a lot of working man's clubs where they don't name know him and he still keeps going because he's aware of that and he keeps going at it. But I've yeah. not really heard as much from other comics on that. Um, there are there are out there. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but it's um because I'm I am i am not I've not been gigging as much as I want to, but there is there are people out there that you go, Oh, you do the work, you do the work. Um you know, Rowan, Rowan and Paul Smith, they do do the work. They're constantly hot water to running new stuff out. Um, and that's, um, I'm trying to think, is it, that some of the bigger ones, like my, I, I remember seeing Michael McIntyre before he, before he got big in a, in a canteen in Telford, performing to bar managers and entertainment managers when I was one of those. And um, he, 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 he maligned him for his style and everything like that. But he, you can tell that he just works you can tell that he just works and works and works and works and, and sort of, I don't know if he does now, he's, he's more, he's in the presenting phase of his thing. But I, I, I had the conversation, uh, I've had the conversation loads of times. Bob Monkhouse used to just constantly do stuff, but then he got to a point where he was presenting game shows and everybody saw him as cheese or whatever. But his, his work ethic of writing stuff and, and doing that is is just phenomenal. And he wrote for other people and, and, and that's, that's the bit that I hate about myself is that I'm a procrastinator and I'm very bad. I get things pop in my head and I try and talk them out rather than write them down. And I wish I could write, write more, write more better. <laughs> it shows you how bad I write. <laughs> um, but the, the other, so there's some out there that just, um, Masai Graham I always like, because when we do Edinburgh, he, everybody goes, oh, you can't make money in Edinburgh. And Masai makes money in Edinburgh, unless the tax people are watching and then he makes absolutely fuck all. Uh, and um, <laughs> he does like seven gigs every day in Edinburgh. He starts, he starts at midday and he just goes through and, you know, there's one another show. Another, they're all, comp- all of them are compilation shows, but he does it every day because then he gets the bucket and then it, it sort of like, it makes it worthwhile for him. A lot of people just go, well, that's a bit much. <laughs> go, well, then you're not going to make money. <laughs> it's, sort of, it's not, it shouldn't always be about money. It can be about having fun. And if, but that's, you've got to temper your expectations of what you want. A lot of, a lot of people get into comedy and don't know what they want. Apart from I want to be famous or the, or I want to be the best joke writer and you know go down as like Chappelle level. That's great. You have to work at it and you have to 
you know, it might not happen as well. It might, it, it's, it's, if you want to make money, you can make money out of comedy, but you've got to be, again, you've got to be more generic. You'll be able to play any room. You've got to do this, that, and the other. So people, and, and a lot of comedy is ego. So everybody wants to be the funniest person in the room. You're not always going to be that. You're not always going to be everybody's cup of tea. And, um, you know, you've got to play what you what you dealt. I'm, I'm quite happy. I, I didn't know how you're supposed to do comedy when I got into comedy. So I started the wrong... I always say this to my mates. I always did it the wrong way around. I wrote an hour. I was just I, I had loads, loads of material because it just was writing before I got into comedy. And then I wrote an hour about me having... Was it the, no, it was, it was about... El, I did my Elvis show. Elvis was racist, question mark. But it was just about what I was interested in. So I wrote backwards. So instead of doing fives and tens and twenties, I had lots of stuff, put it all in an hour show and then picked out the bits that I liked to do the stuff on stage in more club stuff. So I'm learning how to do club stuff better now because I realised I worked the wrong way around, which is, if that makes sense. Do you do, you do what I see a lot of other comics do where they, when they're doing an Edinburgh show, if they want to road test it, especially in the big clubs, they put, they obviously do their standard club set, but right in the middle, they do their Edinburgh stuff. And if it works well in that environment, they take it up to Edinburgh. Um, I, I, I am odd. <laughs> I, I try and cram in an hour into 20. Um, <laughs> I'm like, ah, I'll do this. I, I just, my brain doesn't work properly sometimes, I think. Is that I just, I, see, I do see people doing that, but I, I just go, a lot of, a lot of my stuff, makes sense when it all joins up so that's why i write in huge chunks because it's sort of like i'm going from this point to this point and i've got there's all like all these things that i've got to fit in so then i it's so i i'm constantly again doing it the wrong way around i should really look at certain jokes and get them in and then make them work but i just go i'm just going to chat to you <laughs> and then drop jokes in and then but like slyly so they go here's here's a joke uh but it, if it doesn't work i just act like I've always, I always give this advice to newer comics. Talk, don't deliver everything as if it's like a, a feed line, punch line. But not, you can do, but like sometimes people go, and then it doesn't get a laugh. It breaks them. <laughs> so what I, what I say sometimes is, if you can, tell it and hit the joke. And then if, if you don't get any response, act like it was just the setup or it was a, it was a, a bit of a journey to get to the next joke. You know, and if you've got too many of those in the row, then you're not funny. But it means that your newer comics don't get that kind of worry of sort of like, oh, my best joke didn't work. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes you'll deliver it weird. Sometimes you'll miss a bit. Sometimes, um, you know, the audience just won't get it. Um, so, yeah, trying to, trying to work new material. And I, always, I find that hard because I chunk stuff. So I just go, all of this will be new stuff. Or all of this will... But, like, I will put... At the beginning, I will do stuff to make sure that the crowd are on my side. At the end, I will always do something old that I know that goes up. So if nothing else, you know that I was good at the beginning and good at the end. And in the middle, doesn't matter. They can forget. But if I can, if I can figure out stuff that has got good bits, in, that's great. But you, even in new material nights as a comedian, you're constantly going, oh, I need to, I need to at least give them something. <laughs> so they don't go away going, comedy shit. Hmm. Yeah, it is. Now, with joke writing, you know, so there's two things that I want to say, and this is going to cause me a bit of trouble here, but I'll say it anyway. Um, so I went to the Edinburgh Fringe, and I know I think saw lots of posts of your show up there as well. I know you mm. did as well. But I watched 
maybe about 20 shows or 30, 40 shows. And there was only maybe two or three that really stood out from all of yeah. that time. Like, I like Ruben K's K-Hole. That doesn't sound right. That sounds like a porn film, but that show's very good. And I I was, I was, really loved Dan Tiernan's show. That was like what that guy did. He's got something special. Like, out of all the comics I've seen, you just see that he has Dan. something. But he has I've something. Dan, but I've never seen him. And, it, and everybody keeps telling me how good he is. And it's just sort of like, I think that's another thing about comedians as well. Is sometimes when you hear that somebody's really, really good, you go, ah, I don't know if I want to see them because it might just destroy me. But again, people are different. Comedians are different. But in the Edinburgh stuff, I, there is, oh, again, I was talking to uh, uh, Natty Preston, and it's she was sort of like going, for some reason in this country, everybody thinks that they can do an Edinburgh show after three to five years on the circuit. <laughs> and she's right. It's like sometimes there's a lot of people going up there, and you're going, you shouldn't be doing shows. You shouldn't be doing shows. But it's... Um, it is sort of like a, a, a meritocracy. Is that the right word? I think, yeah. Is that anybody can do it. Anything can be good. But if you've got enough money, that's number one. If you've got enough money to go up to Edinburgh, you can put a show on. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter how many people you get. Uh, I've done a show to one person, and I, it was one of my favourite shows I ever did. And I did, I've done a show to a full room, and it's sort of like, yeah, that was okay. But because anybody can do it, everybody does it. So you've got, this is going to get me into trouble. No, it won't get me into trouble. There is sort of certain tropes of sort of like white guy who's done a gap year and telling you all about it or middle-aged woman who's having a breakdown and telling you all about it. And it's sort of like, I'm not saying that those aren't valid. I'm just saying there's a lot of them and there is no, because anybody can do it, there is no quality control. That's fine. That's fine. But it means that it's harder to sit through the shit. It also means that people go up with, uh, I, I never say that I do a work in progress, but I, this year's show was a work in progress because I just didn't have enough time to, to to work it out. Also, to go back to one of your other questions, a lot of my stuff sometimes is very contentious in terms of the language I use. So I can't actually do it on stage. So there is the use of the N-word and the P-word in the last show. And those bits, I just can't. And unless I've got the right room and the right crowd, I can't do those bits because it would be too jarring for a, you know, oh, it's Friday night, we're all having fun, and then Jay's talking about a horrible racism, and you're just like, ugh. Um, although, I, although I did do Comedy Store recently and did, did some of those bits, and it worked really well. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it's, I, I think, in Edinburgh, it's, I had a conversation with lots of comedians, and I kept saying, are you having fun? Are you enjoying yourself? Because sometimes, you know, your show might not be great, but if you're, if you're learning and you're having fun, brilliant if you're going up there and you're going why am i not being seen why am i not making money well it's the wrong reason because i will say that the whole thing is geared up for people for everybody apart from comedians to make money the comedians the comedians always win and that's what we do but it's geared up against the actual we are we are the talent but we don't act like we are because we you know they always said oh why don't we set up a, a comedian's agency uh, an agent you know sorry union union for for comedians which equity do but equity can be shit ah oh, shit um quote me on that but it, it's it's sort of like the reason is is because everybody always believes that somebody will be if if i don't do it another comedian will come and take my place and there is that fear but it's just sort of like, again make yourself stand out to a degree that like dancing and like um oh, i'm trying to think i'm trying to think of, of uh, Rob Kemp doing the Elvis Dead 
it was, oh my God, there's a Phil Ellis every year does something that is different. At least, if nothing else, different. I've worked with him a lot. So I'm not just blowing smoke with else, but it's sort of like every year, every year I go, and I'm normally a plant. <laughs> I, mean, I can't, I've ended up doing tech for him now. But um, every year we will try and do something that makes people walk away going, bloody hell. Uh, so, you know, you don't have to change the, the concepts of comedy and stuff like that. Um, but just if you're going up, do something interesting at the very least, or something heartfelt, or something. If you are going up there to to make money, then all for all extents and purposes, do an hour where you're showcasing yourself and whoring yourself out. But admit that that's what you're doing. Oh no, it's just an hour that I'm doing. It's just you're, you, you're basically. But all that stuff is also. I don't I don't know how true it is because it's footmotoring a lot of the time. But a lot of stuff is decided before you even get up to Edinburgh. And again, it's it, a lot of decisions are made in London. So. You know, do it for do it. Know what reasons you're doing it for, and know that you might not get anything out of it apart from a sense of self-satisfying yourself. Like a wank. No, I should have said that. <laughs> I should not have said that. <laughs> Edinburgh is basically like a circle jerk for comedians. <laughs> it's that like, aren't we good? <laughs> we're, we're changing the world. <laughs> Please put special. <laughs> <laughs> it is a wank fest. No, uh, it's it it, it it's a, it is fun. It's definitely. I mean, there's some amazing performers out there. There's yeah that you learn. It's it's an interesting experience. I dressed up as Zoro, and that <laughs> was my act. I mean, some people say I'm racist for playing Zoro. Well, I. I'm I'm not because I play I'm call myself Asian Zora, so ah, not only know. do I offend I offend both races. No, it's, 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 that's what you do. You go offend everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. There there are some, you know what? Um, I, I got to, I've had the chance to talk to some people who were part of the alternative the start of alternative comedy in the eighties. I got, I got luckily I got to speak to Alexis Sale and I've got to speak to. Um, that's a Lenny Henry, which is cool. Um, and, and other people from the, from the era, uh, Steve Gribbin, uh, who was, who did the podcast, they, they, um, he's got a mate called Steve who does poetry and they were all around then. And they, they, they gig with people like Malcolm Hardy, um, and, and other people. And when they talk about it, there is, there's stories about people. They used to be in a pub. There was, some of them would do poetry, some of them do comedy, some of them would do you know weird stuff, um, and and I'm sure there was a guy who basically came on stage and basically tried to melt a block of ice, and it's sort of like that that doesn't parlay into TV, but somebody just went, I want to try and do this on stage, and fair enough, and sometimes it's you know it's that kind of weirdness that is interesting, like knife throwing or some something just odd, but now because it's now because we are geared towards trying to put people on TV. You can't be too weird. Or, or you're not supposed to be too weird. Even though everybody's going, it's great, everybody's neurodiverse and everything like that. It's that people are still scared of weirdness. And it's all, all different. And it's just, it's just, not everybody is like you. And not, and, you know, TV shows you what they think normal is. And it's just sort of like, that's good for a lot of people. People like to be comforted and just watch stuff that makes them feel good. And then other people go, let's just see some stuff out the, outside the box. Sometimes it'll be shit. Sometimes it'll be brilliant. Sometimes it'll just be average. But there is a, there is a fear, especially for TV producers, because they're they're beholden to numbers again. 
to, to money and to numbers. It's sort of like, oh, I don't want to put something on TV that might, you know, I always, I always say that I want to try and find a black female Vic and Bob for the showcase. But, you know, look at what Vic and Bob were like when they started out. They, they, came, on, they came on the scene and I'm sure there was like, and Harry Hill was around that time as well. That a lot of the older generation were looking at that going, what the fuck is this? Yeah, and but then they don't realise that that was, you know, when they were kids, Monty Python was exactly the same. That their grandparents are going, what the fuck is this? You know, they're, they're mocking Jesus. You go, no, they're not. It's Brian, not Jesus. So it's 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 interesting to see how far you can push stuff and how far people are willing to push stuff because it doesn't pay a lot at the time. So yeah. Some, sometimes, sometimes you—it's—it's it's like Van Gogh. I'm not to compare myself to uh, <laughs> some of the greatest artists in the world, but they didn't make money until they died, or you know, they lived in poverty and then they were revered afterwards. And I think we don't want that. We want instant gratification right now, so it's a little bit harder. We play safe. Yeah. You just described people who watch OnlyFans. No. I... <laughs> <laughs> What you're going to say, Mrs. Brown's voice. Um, but again, I went and watched that in the theatre, and as a stage play and farce, Mrs. Brown's voice is quite fun. On TV, it's shit. Um, <laughs> that's my opinion. But on, it works on stage for me. I went, oh, I get what this is. On TV, it's just not like, oh my god, it's an excuse for him to say feck. Um, <laughs> it's essentially fuck. Why is everybody? That's before the watershed. Why is everybody okay with that? Uh, sorry. They need to be, yeah, Mr. Brown, be, no, oh, no, no, Mrs. Brown. Just misgendered. <laughs> sorry, sorry for anyone that's listening. Uh, uh, well, the pronouns, whoever plays Mrs. Brown, I won't yeah. say anything else. Brendan, Brendan O'Carroll, I think it is. Brendan O'Carroll. Yeah, you don't have to apologise. He, he should apologise for the show. I'm going to keep. Again, it's sort of like I know like family members who absolutely adore that, and that's fine. I just it's just not for me. So, but like all these things make up, you know. If you don't like, this, I now sound like somebody who, who who's telling somebody off in a comedy club. If you don't like it, you don't have to watch it. But you can you can you can criticize stuff, you can critique stuff, and you can have conversations about it. If somebody goes, oh, you don't like that? Yeah, here's the reasons why. But that doesn't mean that you should stop liking it. So, Yeah. But don't give... Un I, do, you, one thing that I don't like on the circuit is unsolicited feedback. Do you do, you, do, you do, oh, do that God. or do you get that? that that's the bit that, that irritates me the most. Well, it's always from people that shouldn't be doing it a lot of the times. Unless they precurse it and say, do you mind? But if they just go out and do it, it's always the ones that you don't want. It I, I don't know. I, I tend to I tend to blurt stuff out sometimes and just stuff. well, not blurt stuff out. But if, if I feel like the person is feeling a little bit low on confidence or sort of like a bit nervous about going on stage or coming off stage, I'll always try and sort of explain little you know little tricks that I've used, sort of um, or sort of bad bad experiences I've had or good experiences I've had or sort of like just to make you feel a bit more comfortable because it is horrible when you first start out and there's like 12 people on a thing and you're sort of you're going out there and people aren't laughing but like the, the person just before you has just got massive belly laughs and it's just sort of like again take it take it for that person got belly laughs because they kept talking about the dick or sort of like each punchline was the word fuck and it's the lowest common denominator stuff and it's very easy a, to be comedy and that will have a ceiling um Sometimes 
forget again sort of like the journey sometimes people think that you've got to be successful and it, it happens overnight it doesn't it's sometimes it takes a while sometimes it might not happen sometimes but you you can speed that up if you hit generic basic beats we've talked about this before if you if you if you can be crude and vulgar and stuff like that not to say that it's wrong if you can do that you'll hit quicker but if you do cleverer jokes sometimes you won't get the rewards of that straight away but then you will get revered and then you can sort of like do what you want you, you can sort of trap yourself because you're known as oh he's the one who talks about his dick <laughs> it's sort of it's this kind of thing oh, oh shit that's what they're expecting now do the dick stuff and then you have to sort of like, well, that's my career now. The dick man. <laughs> you you didn't show it to them though. That's that's the no, main no, thing. No. Oh yeah, that's unsolicited. That is unsolicited. But yeah, <laughs> I've had it from I've had it from people. But it was, it, I, I think most of the time it comes from a good place. Um, I think it's only once or twice where people have gone, oh, that's I do a similar joke. Or, you know, so like, yeah, I get that. But, like, that's the truth. When I'm telling most of my stories, they're true stories. So, <laughs> I, th I think it's the way it's done. So, when I've, when I've done it, it's from people that haven't, you could tell from the way they're talking about things, they're not clued up on what they're talking about. And you can yeah. tell that it's like they're just doing it to make themselves feel good. And yeah. you can tell that that's why, and that's often what I get the advice from, but when it's been good, someone often precursor says, would you mind if I said this? And then they do something good. But most of the time when I get um, bad advice, it's, they just blurt it out and you can tell it's a load of horse shit. Like oh, Peter yeah, it's, Washington. It's, it's, a, lot, a, lot of this, a lot of the times it's because they, they've not got where they want it to be and they, they're, they want to tell you why they didn't get where they were. <laughs> sort of like the reason... You know, the reason that you're doing it wrong is because when I did it like that, they, you know, the BBC said I was too risky. <laughs> you just, you, this was a setup for you to talk about yourself, <laughs> <laughs> but in a bad way. Not you can talk about yourself in a good way and go, here's here's how I got through this. Then there's other times when you go, fucking those bastards never never saw the genius that I was. I go, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> I'm sorry that you, uh, yeah, you're not. Yeah. They should pay you for being their therapist. <laughs> Oh God! Isn't that what comedy is anyway? Um... <laughs> that is true. That's true. <laughs> now, for anyone that is listening right now, and they're like, "Shay, he is the man. We want to watch his shows. He's a he's 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 someone we want to know about. How do they find out about you?" Like, do they, mean they're mentally, mentally unstable people. Um, so, <laughs> um, like, uh, so, so you can go on the website, which is uh, it's. This is going to sound really arrogant, but it was because when I tried to get the website, I'd I got the I got the the URL and then I let it run out, and then somebody bought it, and I had to wait for it to expire. So I did have chayburnley.com, and then I couldn't get it again, so I had to call it the Chay Burnley. So the Chay Burnley, chayburnley.com. Uh, ABCS. If you just if you type in the ABCS, it normally leads to it. Or my name. Go on the website. I don't update it that often, but I'm going to try to in the new year. Um, <laughs> Got to stop procrastinating. But um, yeah, just just type Che Burnley. Che Che like the Cuban revolutionary. Burnley like the racist town. Um, sorry, Burnley. Um, I'm from Oldham. Like attracts like. Um, and um, going to get in trouble from Oldham and Burnley now. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, it comes down to the shows. Uh, we do, we're doing the next one is February the eighth with uh, Paul Sinner, uh, Liverpool Royals Court. If they've gone the Royal Court, um, find me on Instagram at Che underscore Burnley. Um, I'm quite 
when people talk to me or message me, I'm quite happy to message back and stuff like that. So it's not, not, not abuse. But um, yeah, we're, we're in a weird position at the moment because we're in the next period of sort of like trying to take it to the next level of sort of like we're doing the courses to generate new comedians. We're doing courses to do mental health to help uh, minority groups. Um, so we've got people who are young, people who are older. We're also trying to do, run the shows, trying to do edit, make Edinburgh bigger and better. Um, but yeah, it's, it just find me, find me in the street, talk to me. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm like this most of the time. Hyper, hyper, uh, hyperactivity. Just had a coffee. That's what's happened. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's in a good mood now, so you guys can talk to him. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't come up to me while I'm eating. I'm one of those celebrities. Hey, fuck off. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to have, have some food. But, and, uh, yeah. and don't sit next to him in the cubicle, because I've heard a famous story about someone doing that to a famous person and trying to get the autograph. Oh, God. I do comic cons, and it is weird to see people sort of, like, get angry that, you know, hey, why didn't you spend more time talking to me? Because there's a queue of 500 people and they all want an autograph and they all want to say hello and they all want to do this and the other. I, it, I, I find fame incredibly interesting, but I, it also sort of scary because you are in the... Somebody said this the other day. You were in the public domain. Once once you get to a certain level, you're in the public domain and people want a piece of you constantly. And when there is loads and loads of it, the more people there is, exponentially that grows and sort of it's, it's scary. Um, but you know what? You know what? That's part and parcel of it all. Maybe this, one day. This is what you signed up for. Any fame, fame mongers. That, that's what you signed up for. So take yeah, it. On it's the a chin. balance. Yeah, it's 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 uh, that's how you, that's how you play it now. You, if you if you get into it and don't understand that, then you're an idiot. <laughs> Let that, those be my last words. <laughs> they are the last words, guys. Listen up. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. The next episode is going to be with. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens with this, but I'm interviewing a former LA gangster, like Spanish oh. gangster from Compton. I thought that Compton, I don't I hope it doesn't come across the wrong way, but I thought Compton was a black area in LA. But yeah, it, it's it's it, it's both dodgy in both ways, Mexican and like like it's it's a very dodgy area and he is he grew up with his father um selling drugs and like his mum making meals for the illegal immigrants and like he talks about being shot yeah it, it was it, it, i found him online and i'm going to interview him and i'm going to be quite scared but yeah that's the next guest guys i hope you he, enjoy he's, he's in la he's in la you can't reach you uh, so, so, guns don't work like that but um that, that's really I, I, I find uh, all that kind of uh, NWA and sort of I, I I did a bit in one of my shows about Ice Cube, Ice Cube uh, because of the way that music works. Everybody wants to have that gangster lifestyle and look like a gangster. A lot of people aren't gangsters, especially in music. Ice Cube Ice Cube had a he did a degree in architecture. He's, he got asked to come back to LA and do a whole symposium about architecture in in LA. He's incredibly intelligent, but for the music, they needed to look like a gangster. And the the way that America's set up is just incredibly incredibly intriguing because it is a ghettoization of, of different groups and people have black olden a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about where i i grew up Liverpool, everybody thinks it talks this horrible it's not it's just it's it's how things are divided up to divide people there you go there's a nice there's another nice bit yeah it's it's a fun yeah in london i'd say it's a little bit better with that even though it's dodgy in some areas but there's definitely a lot of they really thought 
but you get in just a couple of streets down you have a dodgy council's estate right next to a really posh place and people are always mixing in it's 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 the uh, politics of, of uh, divisiveness or whatever, whatever you want to call it is that uh, in old in olden they put the poorest black people right next to the poorest white people so it ghettoized two groups and turned them against each other so they went oh it's them but then you know down the street where people you know you don't have to walk too far and then there's not loads of rich areas in olden but there's nicer areas let's say you're not too far from a, from a nicer area. And they, you know, nobody bothers about them getting everything. It's about the people closest to you, you know, that you you could you think are on sort of your level. So why they're getting slightly more than you? Or uh, it's just it's so interesting. Sociology is so intriguing. But when you highlight stuff, people don't really want to do anything about it. <laughs> it's just uh, getting toxic. Everybody thinks that toxic was the toxic rights. From what I can gather from people who've talked to me about it, it was more to do with policing than it was to do with race. It yeah. was just a, it was, it was a tinderbox that was ready to go, and in the eighties, it was stirred by the government as well. They wanted managed decline of Liverpool, so the easy way to do is turn you know friends against each other, or think that they're turning people against each other. <laughs> uh, and you know Liverpool ended up being ostracised by the rest of the country, so it has a really kind of interesting kind of um, mentality because everybody thought that Liverpool was like scum for ages and then all of a sudden the newspapers had to retract a lot of stuff um, and everyone went oh but it's still stuck in everybody's head about what Liverpool is even though all of the lies that, that a certain newspaper published have been turned out to be actual lies yeah there's definitely a big I heard even from like I saw podcasts of Adam Rowan he says that Liverpool considered itself in some respects separate to the rest of the UK and they would much rather celebrate a Carabao Cup than England winning the World Cup Oh gotcha! I, 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 again, I'm I've come away from football mainly because of racism, but you know, but people turn a blind eye to it because they go, you know, the three black players that were abused during the uh, the, the finals. I was like, I was, I knew that was going to come, but like loads of my mates were going, oh no, no, that's it. my white friends are like going, no, this, this, that's not going to happen. It happened straight after. I was expecting it the morning after, but it was right after on social media. The, the level of abuse. You, you say that, and people go, oh, it's just isolated incidents. And you just go, it's not. It really isn't. It isn't if you have to live that kind of stuff. It isn't as big as, as, it, as, as it, you know, some people could make it out to be, but it isn't also as small as it, as it might be. It needs a discussion again. But it's lovely living in Liverpool where it, it's, <laughs> I think there was a film called The 51st State, where Liverpool is, is, I think we would side with Scotland before we side with England to it. So if, 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 if it could become separate, just because of the way that it was treated. If you if you treat somebody, you treat somebody like an animal, they become like an animal. And you know, don't 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 be surprised when they bite back. It's just it's just beggars belief of sort of like what they were expecting. No. That's an interest I'm not really I'm not quite understood gone into that statement, but I keep hearing that a lot in a lot of places they treat people really badly and they're always surprised. Yeah. It's it's Yeah, it's, it's just sort of like if you if you constantly berate me or, you know, say you're a monster and you're a thingy, you know, why don't I just act like that? Because you already think I'm that. So if I, you know, if I become the monster that you think I am, you were already expecting that. If if I try and better myself and try and be, you know, try and think it, you will still see me. It's, it's like what I say about Wayne Rooney. When Wayne Rooney moved into his mansion or whatever, they didn't go, oh, there's there's somebody from you know the elite. You know, he's educated. Is this that and the other? He must he must have been. They went, he's he's a poor scouser who's done good, but he's not one of us. 
you know, so they were still treating as, you know, if, to his face, they probably were very nice. Behind closed doors, they went, oh, God, we've got, we've got a scouser moving in. Yeah, going, <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's sort of like, it's sort of, because we don't have these conversations and we are, you know, riddled with class in this country. It's just, it's, it's, it's really intriguing that nobody wants, nobody wants to be honest because it would make them look as bad as, as, as they actually are. <laughs> and with, with stuff like that, you, know, you can be honest and be good, but like in those kind of terms, we, we are still very wrapped in a Victorian era kind of class mentality that is just sort of not conducive to, to progression. And guys, that is the last word of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I talk too much. No, that. Thank you.